together and we'll just read the first three, three verses. And from there, we'll dive into a theme that we've discovered um, in this section of Scripture. As he passed by, he is Jesus. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we talked about sin, suffering, in Jesus. And we did at really a macro level, very high level, of some of the issues regarding suffering. And remember, we defined suffering rather simply as anything that hurts or irritates. And, and I think having said that and understand that, there will be different types of suffering, different degrees of suffering. We are all suffering in various ways. And there are different degrees to that suffering. And there are many facets of suffering, yet what we all share and what we all know is that it hurts. It is not something that we want. Me being the brilliant man that I am, went to Home Depot the other day. And I noticed, I was like, man, look at all these people wearing gloves as they're handling things. I was like, what wimps? It's like, I don't need no gloves to go to Home Depot. And I'm buying wood. Stick with that. <laughs> and Karen's looking for a little piece, and I grab it, and I slide the wood down my hand. I told you I was smart, didn't I? <laughs> In about five seconds from the wood sliding through my hands, I realized why I should wear gloves. A splinter entered the finger of your pastor. But me, being the tough guy that I am, simply shook it off. No. That <laughs> wasn't it. I got to get rid of this thing. It's irritating me. I was suffering. I didn't have a knife, didn't have anything. So I'm soliciting men. Give me a knife. This was probably weird from a large man such as myself. Give me a knife, you know. <laughs> anyway, I, I, got the, I got the splinter out. It was irritating. I wanted it gone. I was suffering. That's very, very, very minor compared to the suffering that some of you are going through. It's all irritating. It all hurts. We all want it to go away. And we talked about what God's word says about suffering. There's a suffering that is common to all humanity. There's a suffering caused by sinful actions. There's suffering for the cause of Christ. And then finally, we looked at there's suffering allowed by God and for his glory. We not only look at the works of God in, uh, I mean, the word of God in suffering, we looked at the work of God in suffering. And we looked at the ministries of Joseph and Job and Paul, and then finally, Jesus. This week, and God just by his grace worked it out that we could divide this in two, we want to look at the walk of the believer in suffering. And what I pray that we see in this section is the reality of and response to suffering. The reality of suffering and the response to suffering. Number one, I want to remind us that the walk of the believer in suffering, suffering will happen. Suffering is going to happen into your life again to a lesser or greater degree. It's going to be in various forms, in various ways. We could start now. And in the family, there's going to be suffering. In your physical body, there's going to be suffering. In the world in which we live, there'll be suffering. In your workplace, there will be suffering and difficulty. Get ready for it because it's going to happen. The question is, to what degree is that going to enter into your life? And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that makes suffering so hard. Anybody get the memo on when suffering's coming? 
No, it comes out of the blue oftentimes. It comes from nowhere. We're not expecting suffering. It happens. I met and talked to a group of Christians yesterday, and on the call, a man gets on the call, and and he's crying. And we're like, why is your eye so red? He says, I was at a prayer meeting this week, and one of the worship leaders who I had just spent time with had a massive heart attack in his late 20s and dies leaving a young child and his wife and no expectation of that for that wife waking up that morning that my husband, I'm going to be a single parent today. Suffering entered their world. And brothers and sisters, as long as you live, suffering is going to enter your world to degrees of grief and pain that you right here now thinking of it coming says, how am I, how am I going to be able to handle that? You will, but it's going to be hard. Suffering will happen to you. John 16, if you got your Bibles, we're going to get through the scriptures a little bit today. If you're a Bible lover, I pray you are. We're going to get through it a little bit today. John 16, 31 through 33. Look at what Jesus says here. John 16, 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come. For you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. Look at what Jesus goes on to say. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. That tribulation, that suffering is going to come into the life of the believer. Jesus says, I'm going to be alone, but I'm not alone. You're going to feel alone, but you're not alone. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, so that no one be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know, listen to this, that we have been destined for this. 1 Thessalonians 3.3. Paul says, you Thessalonians know. Afflictions are going to come, but we've also been destined for it. 1 Peter 2.21, for you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Suffering is going to come in the life of the believer. Death is going to happen. Sickness is going to happen. Unrest is going to happen. Hardship is going to happen in your home. It's hard. We don't understand it. We don't even like it. Many of you know the story of Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth. You know the story of Jim having this calling on his life to want to be a missionary and want to reach unreached people groups. Many of them know the story of him going to Ecuador and losing his life. Leaving his young wife and 10-month-old daughter. Elizabeth Elliott writes these words regarding her husband, Jim. And suffering that happens in the life. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God is of a different nature altogether. It does not hate tragedy. It never denies reality. It stands in the very teeth of suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. The cross was the proof of his love, that he gave that son, and that he let him go to Calvary's cross through legions of, though legions of angels might have rescued him. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything that makes us like his son. 
A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. Think she knows a little about that suffering? Think she knows a little about the difficulties that life brings? She does, brothers and sisters. Thomas Watson, in All Things for the Good, writes these words regarding afflictions. Afflictions work for good as they make way for glory. Not that they merit glory, but they prepare for it. As plowing prepares the earth for a crop, so afflictions prepare and make us ready for glory. The painter lays his gold upon our dark colors, so God first lays the dark colors of affliction. Then he lays the golden color of glory. The vessel is first seasoned before the wine is poured into it. The vessels of mercy are first seasoned with affliction. And then the wine of glory is poured in. Thus we see afflictions are not prejudicial, but beneficial to the saints. Is that how we see suffering? Is that how we understand suffering? That is going to come. It's not prejudicial, but it's beneficial. So suffering will happen in the life. Secondly, can we just be honest? Suffering's hard. Suffering is difficult. At times, it seems impossible. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. There's some of you in this room that are distressed by various sufferings. Some of you are saying, God, why? There's, this is, keeps happening. It's, it's hard. There's, it seems to be thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. Issue after issue. Lord, can I get a reprieve? Lord, can I get a break? And those of you who don't understand that, just keep living. Just keep living. There was a young boy like, man, I see these people with such trauma. The older I get, the more I see, man, pain seems to never cease for some of us. First Peter 3.17 says this, listen, brothers and sisters, for it is better if God should will it so. Did you hear that? It is better if God shall will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. He is saying to the persecuted believers that he is writing to, Peter is saying that you may suffer for doing the right thing. Isn't that the American way, right? If if I do the right thing, come on, you do good things, good things are going to happen. If I put in the work, good things are going to happen. And we look at our lives and say, why is my life in shambles? I've done the right thing. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't mess with girls or do. (laughs) Life should be good for me. 2.5 kids, white dog named Fluffy and pool in the back. Life's good. I pay my taxes. Why is this coming in my world? Suffering is hard, brothers and sisters. Don't don't miss that. And I think oftentimes I've met Christians who who would say, ah, uh, life's hard, but you know, I just, you know, I'm good. I used to think that that's the way I'd be. Oh, when suffering comes, I'm going to hold on to God's unchanging hand and his word is going to so penetrate my heart that I am never going to give up. I'm never going to think about forsaking my God. How could I never be like Job? You fool, God is saying from heaven. Trials are hard. Sufferings are hard. Divorce is hard. Wayward children are hard. Wayward parents are hard. We don't have to mince words and play this game with each other like life isn't hard. Jane, was cancer hard, my sister? Life's hard. We don't have to fool and play games. We share the truth with one another. Thirdly, 
Suffering is hard to understand. Anybody been in suffering and ever asked themselves this question? Why God? How many times are you asking? <laughs> How about why me, God? Uh, how many of you want to say, why now, God? Don't you know, God, this is like the wrong time to bring this in my life. God, didn't you check my itinerary, my schedule? I think the hardest part for us is not always, why me? We'll get over that question. Why now? I think we'll even maybe get through that question fairly well. For most of us, it's why them? What do I mean by that? For some of us, watching a loved one suffer is the hard part. Watching a loved one die is the hard part. Watching a grandchild go through something, watching a child go through something, and we're asking God, why them? Some of us have ever said, Lord, don't give it to them, give it to me. Anybody ever said that? Lord, I'll take it. Lord, bring that my way, Lord. Because, Lord, I don't want to watch them suffer. Lord, Lord, give it to me. It's hard to understand why things happen and why people go through things. Psalm 42, if you got your Bibles, go back to that psalmist. I want you to understand that the Bible is replete, in particular, the psalmist with understanding or lack of understanding during suffering, in suffering. Psalm 42. Some of us can identify with some of these words. It's a psalm of instruction. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Look at what he says in verse 3. Maybe this is our testimony this morning. My tears have been my food day and night. Anybody go to bed crying and wake up crying because of the suffering in your life? You're thinking that you're going to get a reprieve in your sleep. You're thinking that somehow in the morning it will get better. Somehow in the morning you'll get the report from the doctor that it's going to be okay. Somehow you'll get some kind of word that it's going to work out and you don't get it. And you're wondering that morning hour, how am I going to make it yet again through this day? That's what the psalmist is saying. My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, what the world says, you Christians are suffering, you're, you're dying, you're being maimed, you're being treated cruelly. Where's your God? I thought he's so powerful. I thought he's so loving. I thought he could remove things. I thought he was for you, not against you. I thought he wasn't going to lift his hand against you. Where's your God? Maybe it's not them saying it. Maybe you're saying it yourself. These things I remember and pour out my soul within me. Look at what he responds, what he says. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He used to. He doesn't do it anymore. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He is saying that I used to lead the procession in going up to the house of the Lord. But this grief, this despair that I have has me in a place where I can't even go to church some of y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about, do you? Some of you think that because you're so strong in your faith that you'd never reach a place where you're really doubting God's goodness, God's existence, God's power. Just keep living. When you bury that one, 
when the finality of death and you can't figure out why. See, it's okay when granny dies. She's lived a long life, 90s. Man, those babies, those children, those cancer diagnoses to someone who's vibrant. God, where are you? Scripture says you're so good. Verse 5, he's not done. Why are you in despair on my soul? And why have you come disturbed within me? Look in your heart and it's black. It's dark. Not much there. Hope in God. He's looking to the future for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh God, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon. He begins to look and remember what God has done. Deep calls to the deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command you with his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. He is saying, if I remember, if I can get back to remember what the goodness of God, I'll come out of this funk. The point in reading that psalm is for you, you're not alone if you're asking why. We do not always understand why God does what he does. Many of you, and I mentioned her last week, Joni Erickson Tata, she writes these words. I don't have it on the slide for you. Speaking of suffering, she says this, it is quite a mystery, this suffering. No matter what shape or size it comes in, you know it's hard. It's always draining. It always reveals your resentments and anger. And if you're suffering and it squeezes hard enough, it even may show that you've got a rebellious spirit. She goes and says this word, but that's not bad. She says, I've learned after years with dealing with pain in this wheelchair and suffering that I would not but yield to God. Suffering makes me real, she says. It makes us real with ourselves and real with our Lord. Otherwise, we would just go on our merry way playing at being a Christian. We would be posers. We'd be pretenders, play acting when it comes to picking up our cross. We'd say we'd pick up our cross, but we would not know how to do it and do it well were it not for suffering. Fourthly, suffering has a purpose. You know this verse, Romans 8, 28 through 29. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Please, please pay attention to the verse. Doesn't say all things are good. He says they're going to work together for good. For who? For those who love God. See, brothers and sisters, can I, can I just go over here just for a second? We can't give this verse to unbelievers. I've seen Christians try to do that with unbelievers. Well, God's going to work that out in your life. Huh? It's not what the verse says. The verse says he's going to work things all out that's going to be good for those who love God. Doesn't stop there. It's for those who are called according to his purpose. So it's not just the general world, but that's going to work out for you. Not if you don't know Jesus, it may not work out for you. It may not work out for his glory or for your good. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. What does suffering produce in you? 
Conformity. Conformity to what or to who? Jesus. Now, don't we all say when we first come in, Cheryl just gave her testimony, as did Chris, and Chris made the statement. I want to remove this shell. I want this, which by the way, ought to be all our testimonies, right? I want to be consumed. I want to be set afire by the Holy Spirit to live and look more like Jesus. What if Jesus, God the Father and the Spirit say, I'm going to take you through suffering, Dave, to get you there. As oftentimes he does. There's a purpose. You're going to look more like Jesus. Is that okay, Katie? Is that okay, Nate? We want to look like Jesus. You're going to suffer. Conform to the image of his son that he would be the first more born among many brethren. Suffering's hard. Suffering has a purpose. Suffering is a test. James 1 verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith Testing of your faith. Suffering comes is going to prove you. Who do you really stand for? What do you really love? What's really important to you? What are the idols in your life? Let the Lord start stripping those things away from you and you begin to see what's really important. At the end of the day, what do you really have to have? At the end of the day, what do you really desire? Suffering will reveal that. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you are sharing in the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that at the revelation of his glory, that you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it's to the glory of God in this name. To test. Some of us are being tested right now. Remember, it's hard. It's not easy, but it's a test. God's working something out. Number seven, suffering is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Suffering is an opportunity for God to be glorified. I'm sorry, did I skip strengthens? Sorry, suffering strengthens. Sorry about that. And not only this, this is Romans 5, 3, and 4, and not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. As James says, suffering or trials test produce endurance. He said, let us have its perfect result that you might be perfect and complete, mature, lacking in nothing. So it's strengthening you. Uh, Anybody here enjoy working out? Come on, I know some of you. Well, you lift weights that you get bigger and you get stronger and get more in shape. There's a goal in mind. Well, trials make us strong spiritually for the trials ahead and the difficulties that surely await us. Number seven now. Suffering is an opportunity for God to be glorified in four different ways. We'll get through these rather quickly. Do you ever think about 
others watching you while you, while you suffer, while you suffer. The lost and dying world watches how Christians suffer. Who are you really resting in now? It's a witness to others. Paul says these words in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who are living consistently excuse me, who are being consistently delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Then he ends with this in verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. So what he is saying to these Corinthian believers is that as you see us suffering, struggling, dying even, you're going to be strengthened. Our suffering is producing something in you. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 10. I love this. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Listen to what Paul says. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen or the elect, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with it, the eternal glory. In other words, Paul's saying, if I suffer and the elect get saved, hallelujah. I think about us. I think about God's people are consistently at the hospital. I've heard testimony of some of you witnessing to the nurses, witnessing to the doctors. What an opportunity for Christians during those most difficult times of life to be a witness to others. Number two, demonstrating the life of Jesus. We've talked about that. That we look like Jesus the most oftentimes when we're suffering. Number three, displaying the power of God to others. Here's what I mean by that. How can Christians rejoice in suffering? How can we count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various, how, how does, when we can get to that place, it demonstrates a supernatural power that's in us. That is not, that's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense except by the power of the Spirit. For others to see you and say, wait a second, you just came from a funeral, I, I, and, and, and I'm, 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 I, I'm not bashing any culture. But as a pastor, I love doing African-American funerals for Christians. It's called a homegoing celebration. And there's tears. That's a small part of the funeral, though. It's joy. It's rejoicing. It's a celebration. Starts out sad. It don't end that way. And if you got a slamming band, it may not end at all. Because <laughs> you're going to be praising God because the hope is there, not here. Doesn't make any sense. What do you mean a homegoing celebration? I'm going to a homegoing celebration to a, no, it's a funeral. No, my brother's home. It's a celebration of what God is doing. I remember going to my uncle's, uh, my, my dad's oldest brother, and my dad were going out of the funeral. I'll never see it. And I'm like expecting my dad to, because they were close, and he, he pats on the tomb. Brother, I'm going to see you later. Taps on it. I'm going to see you later, brother. Because he believed it. That's crazy to the world. He's dead. You're rejoicing? He's okay. 
Believe me, they're happier than we are. How many of you have said that? Would they want to come back? That's why we said, man, come back. Man, they have to be saying, no, Lord. I know they want me, but Lord, I'm good. I'm with you. Lastly, I think this is one of the most important things. When you've embraced deep suffering, you're able to comfort those who are in need. I, I, I tell you, I never truly understood this until tragedy and difficulty came in my life personally. I, I used to wonder, like, how do they handle that? How do people make it through that? Until you have to go through it yourself. And you're able to come alongside another, and you can hold their hand. You can say, I understand. Can I share with you, brothers and sisters, that we live in a world that does not understand suffering. They don't want it. And what do they run to? I, 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 I've been at funerals. I've been to funerals where people are so broken. And I, I, come, I, I usually get there early as a pastor. And, at some, and this is usually in certain cultures. I, I'll go up and I'll see the trunks popped up. If it's the summertime, I'll see the trunks popped up because everybody's kind of hanging outside. Why is the trunk up? Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Why is the trunk up? They're getting their drinks on. They can't handle what's going to happen during the service, so they got to get their drink on. That's how some of us handle suffering. They got to put a needle in their arm. I can't handle the pain of being raped. I can't handle the pain that life has thrown me, the abuse that I suffered at the hands of another person. I got to use drugs. I got to disappear. This, this, it's overwhelming. That suffering is too much for me. And Christians can come along and say, brother, sister, uh, there's another way. There's hope. Cheryl, there's joy, isn't there? There's hope. Cheryl, there's joy, isn't there? There's freedom, Cheryl, isn't there? There's relief from bondage, isn't there, Cheryl? I'm accepted in Christ, right, Cheryl? Doesn't matter what the world thinks about us, does it, Cheryl? I'm an heir of righteousness. I'm a child of the king. I am known of God. That's what matters. That's what the world needs to hear, brothers and sisters. That's what we can share with them when we've been through suffering. I know what it's like to lose mom. You, some of us are saying. I, I know what it's like to go through a messy divorce and still come out on the other side and it be okay. I know what it's like to have children out of wedlock. I know what it's like to have a blended family and still give God glory from it. I, I know how to do that. Because you've been through suffering. Oh, man, I wish I could preach. <laughs> Last two. Suffering believers are not alone. Psalm 118, for my distress, I called upon the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Let me read that one again. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. Trust in him through suffering. The Lord is with you. Lastly, suffering believers have hope. As I said last week, not in the next life, but now. You can get through suffering right now by holding on to Jesus. You know the verse. Keep this one in your hip pocket if you're suffering. 
Memorize this one if you're suffering today. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Um, I'm an Ollie's guy. And if you're an Ollie's junkie like me, sometimes you can get a gem out of their books. They used to have great selection. They used to have stuff that I, I got Grudem's Systematic Theology. There were five of them for 11 bucks. Only nerds who know Grudem's Systematic Theology. When you see it for $11 and I was like, what? I snatched all those babies up quick. So they used to have a much, much better selection than they have now. I'm like, I don't know what happened. Who's over there book buying? Because they used to have just good, good, good stuff. But anyway, I was looking through, and um, well, that was probably two months ago, and Karen read it first, and I was like, eh, I'll get to it. Uh, and it's called What They Meant for Evil. Many of us, um, you know, 20 years ago, heard of the Lost Boys of Southern Sudan, right? Uh, I think even in Milton Hershey, when I was in Harrisburg, some of them came to there. They were all spread out all over the country. That Remember the Civil War, Southern Sudan, Northern Sudan was Islamic, and they were Genocide, I don't know how else to say it, killing Christians and, and their people. Well, this is a lost girl. She was a lost girl, but you don't hear much about her. her. name is Rachel Ding. Actually, her name is like, she has like 20 names. And it would have taken me probably 30 minutes just to read all them because I could not pronounce half of them in the book. But Rachel Ding, D-E-N-G, what they meant for evil. And she talks about, uh, it's a hard book for me to read because I'm, I'm, I like narratives, and I try to put myself in a story. When the Islamic factions come into her village, she doesn't know about it. First of all, it's, it's a surprise. And her mother's giving in labor during that time. Her mother has the baby and has to be left because she's just had the baby. So Rachel, who's about seven at the time, takes the baby. They flee into the woods, into the jungle, until the rebels leave. When she comes back, her mother's dead. A week later, later the baby dies. She's seven. She has to flee her village. She ends up, her story is just riveting. She ends up living in Kenya in a refugee camp for about nine years where she is raped in that. But by the grace of God and for the glory of God, she is able to go to Michigan for, for refugees, teenagers to learn. Much, much, much more to her story. I'm sure somebody will flock up here and want to borrow it. So the first one up here gets it, gets to borrow <laughs> She says this at the end of the book. There's so much more I want to read. It is worth, it's an easy read. It's, again, it's a narrative. It's just her story. She says this at the end. And she has made reference to Genesis 50, Joseph and his brothers, which we talked about a little bit last week. She says this. This is my story. The soldiers, the Sudanese government, my tribe's enemies, and the man who took from me without knowing what true love is, the evil meant against me, but God meant it for good. Her grandmother who was killed, her baby sister who was killed, her father who was killed, her mother who was killed. And brothers and sisters, these are brutal killings. Her rape, you mean it for good? Though Joseph's story is of an Israelite boy and mine of a Dinka girl. Our stories are the same in that they communicate the stories of suffering, but they also communicate that nothing is wasted in God's world. Mm -hmm. 
He redeems everything to himself. He uses people to restore justice and peace. This is what she closes with, and I love it. I am loved, deeply loved, and cherished by the Father of all good things. He is my protector, my identity, and my true home. I am no longer a lost girl, for I have been found. She was found by the Savior of the world. Have you been found by him? Or are you remaining lost in your suffering? You can know that Savior today. You can come to have an understanding of how you can cope with your suffering. I am not going to sell you a bill of goods and tell you that suffering is going to go away. That would be a lie. That's not my call to make. But I can introduce you to one and some in this room who will suffer with you, who will cry with you, who will hold a hand with you as we hold on to the hands of our Savior. Would you like to know him today? Can I introduce him to you? Please talk to one of us after the service. If you say, I want to know that Savior. I want to know how to bear this suffering. I want to know what it means to have the freedom and forgiveness of sin and release from the pain that my life has brought me. Only in Jesus, brothers and sisters. Only in him. Let's pray together. Father, I don't pretend to know that all my brothers and sisters in this room are going through. Lord, there are some people here, Lord, have issues. Lord, that I find myself as their pastor. When I think of their marriage, I'm, I'm like, Lord, Lord, why, Lord? When I think of their relationship with their children, I say, Lord, I, those are my friends. Those are people I love, Lord. Why, God? And Lord, sometimes I don't get the answer that I, that I want, and I know it's not the answer they want. But Lord, what we can do hold on to you, trust you, and you've given us the precious gift of one another. We can wrap our arms around one another in the family of this place called Bethel, in the body of believers, and suffer with one another. Thank you for the family that you have given us, Lord. We're not a perfect family. We've got our issues but we want to love each other and we want to honor you. We want to glorify your name in the midst of our suffering. I pray, God, that those who are struggling today, trials today, suffering today, won't do so alone. They will run to you, seek you, for you promise to be found. We love you, God. Thank you so much for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.